On today's episode, Dave interviews Second City alum Todd Stashwick. Todd has had reoccurring roles on The Riches and Heroes. He just shot a Western, Jane Got a Gun, with Ewan McGregor and Natalie Portman. He's had reoccurring roles on The Originals and Vampire Diaries. He also has a pilot in development with the Sci-Fi Channel and is a creator and collaborator on the webcomic Devil Inside. On location at the Out of Bounds Comedy Fest in Austin, Texas, I'm Ian Foley. This is ADD Comedy. This is what gets me, because I think about if I was going to have kids, um, which I'm, and for God's sakes, man, I'm 54 years old. How the fuck am I going to have kids? Wasn't it Tony Randall that had him at 70? Everybody, you know, Tony Randall and Charles Bukowski didn't write his first Charlie play until he was 50. But I'm not those people yet. And you know what I also feel like? I feel like I love that I can get up in the middle of my life and fly to somewhere. That I'm, and, and is that me being selfish? I love that I can fly to somewhere. And show that somewhere to my children. Right, right, right. God bless. No, no, no. I know what you're saying. There's, there's a certain thing. Here's what it do is. Do you think you're sacrificing? Here's, here's do you think is. you sacrifice? No, I'm, I'm not saying don't have kids. Sacrifice. I'm not being sacrificed. What did you say? Did you have to give anything up in order to have children? Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Does the caterpillar have to give up to become the butterfly? Right, I understand that. You know what I mean? What I mean yeah. is I go, look, there's a, a, somebody said to me, and maybe it was Kelly Leonard, there's a button in your head that gets pushed when you have a kid. Uh-huh. Your life changes completely, but you never remember it being another way. Got it. You don't remember that bell not having been rung. Right. So I go, no, I'm a dad, and, and like I've, my children, like I don't ever remember not knowing them. Right. Just like a person. Right. So, so I go, and back to what you had asked, it weaved in with, I had had, I was 27 when I had kids. Yeah. yeah. So that was, I mean, I, I had already toured Second City. I, I went to Europe with it. I had been through, like I had a, I was a grown up. Right. I was looking down the barrel of 30. I'm like, well, I'm an adult now. And here is another experience to add to my life's resume. Right. So. And you don't have them forever. There's a point where your children then leave, and right. then you get on a plane and go anywhere you want. Right. My parents just went to Egypt. Like, they've been around the world after we left the nest. So I think there's, as Jane Pauley said, you can have it all, just not all at once. That's true of everything, right? Right. That's true of everything. Yeah. And to look at that, and, and what I like about what you've done, and you, you always, it, now here's the thing, I, it's either you always work or you always give us the impression that you're always working. <laughs> Was it because I look tired? No, 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 no. No, it's what I do as well. It's that promotion where I promote myself to make people realize that I'm doing something, even if it makes, them, it, makes it appear that I'm doing so much more than what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I, what I've always found for myself is, and you may have experienced this as well, since college... No one ever holds the front door open for me. Uh-huh. I have always had to look for a back door or build one. Right. So I've been in a perpetual state of constantly building my own back door. I get into the building. Right. But I have to do all the labor to do it. I think, I think, a, lot, I think a lot of people don't realize that. I think what happens is a lot of people don't realize that in order for me to have opportunities, I need to be 
present to it and then to jump upon it. Now, there's also something that you do. You there's a promotion that you that you Todd you have a promotion. You you promote yourself in a way that says I'm doing this and I'm having a great time doing it. And in that way, people then want to have you in their the party yeah, at, at the party. Well, again, I think it goes back to what I had said earlier. It's like, you know, I, I, I've seen and I've known people in my life that always feel like there's a party going on they're not invited to. Right. And I, I, I've experienced and sort of have seen the, like the cool kids club and I see what's going on and I just realize that the people in those clubs don't realize they're in it. They're just having their own party. And they don't give a shit about, they don't, they don't think about, I could be somewhere else or. Right. right. And so for me, it was, it was like, well, if I, if I want a party, throw one. Right. And then the party has who you want at it and the decorations you want and the food you want. And, and so it, whether it's improv or, or theater or whatever, it is, whatever creative project I'm working on, I, I've always just built my own party. I totally understand that, mm -hmm. and 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 today I had an experience that was one of, that was a, a rare existential angst experience where I'm driving, I'm flying wherever the hell the fuck I'm getting over here, and I'm thinking I could so easily question myself, and the whole bottom drops out. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could easily say, "Who the fuck am I to talk this way?" I could say, "Fuck here, right?" Who the fuck am I to talk this way? Who am I to act this way? Who am I to do? Who, who, who do I think I am to promote myself in this fashion? And yeah. all that it takes is for you to have that little bit of cancer that you inflicted upon yourself to question yourself to make the bottom it, fall out. Was it Sylvia Plath said that the, the, the oh, I'm going to misquote it, but it was like the, the enemy of creativity is self-doubt or something right. to that. I don't know. I, I, I can honestly say that I was, I've, Pull your mic closer to your mic. Yeah. I can honestly say that the I was never, never plagued with that. Uh huh. I know uh, that about you. Yeah, I was never plagued with, because you know what it was. I, I there was two sort of significant moments. One was I was driving on a road trip with my family, and we we're in the back seat of the car. I was like maybe eight or nine, and I had my little cassette recorder and listening to Elvis. Because my mom was a big Elvis fan, and that sort of passed down to me. And, and I was listening to Elvis, and I had that light bulb moment of, oh, that's his job. Right. And if it's his job, it could be somebody's job. Right. And then I was living in Chicago, and I was like, oh, I would, I would look at the guys that were on the main stage at Second City and going, oh, no, they've just been in line longer than me. Uh-huh. That's it. It's like, and there's people on TV I'm a person, so half that is taken That's care of. That's so awesome. So I, so none of that, <laughs> what, none of that. You know what I mean? There was never, right. there was never a. Gee, I hope I'm good enough. But I could also say that I received, you know, positive strokes along the way. That, right. That you know, those wind, as somebody said, one yes can fortify a thousand no's. Right. So I had enough of those people in my life in high school drama and what they kept going. No, you're you're doing it. Right. So that when a lot of people would go, get out of my face, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. I would still go, mm, no, I got enough of a backbone still. Right. To kind of get me through those darker. I remember looking at the main stage of Second City and I remember looking at Lance Kinsey and um, Shelley Long and uh, Danny Breen and George Wendt and looking at those people and going, I could never do that. 
That's for somebody else to do. Oh, interesting. And then there's also what happened when I was moving to L.A. Someone says, why are you going to move to L.A.? It's so hard to get work there. And I remember thinking to myself, well, somebody's got to do it, and it might as well be me. Yeah, I have a last man standing approach to my craft. Right. It's like I just stand in line, you know. I as I think. But you're not just standing in line because you're also no. You, you know what I mean by when I say. Yeah, that. I understand that. But but there's also it's not just about waiting around. No. Because the standing in line says that you're waiting around. For me, I feel like you're all that you have always been proactive. And when you talk about the people that that said no, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. They're saying that because they're looking at you being confident, being certain, being excited being vulnerable, and being curious. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I would say, yeah. I, I, I have had a insatiable appetite to figure this stuff out. Right. And, and recognizing that training is super important. Right. And so when I would get, when I was in high school and learning theater and acting, and then college and learning theater and acting, and then you were my first improv teacher in right. Chicago... Just constantly going, okay, this, you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's preparing. It wasn't in Chicago, wasn't it? It, it was, was in it was, it was Rolling Meadows. Right. I say Chicago. The, the further you away from, you get from the Mecca, you just say Chicago. Yeah, I understand that. But I also want to say that we were in a very rarefied place very there, strange. too. So it's very different than being in Chicago. Because yeah. I think that everybody, all the teachers in Rolling Meadows, were able to connect with the students in a very different way mm -hmm. than had we been in Chicago. Yes. Yeah, I, I I agree, and 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 I was also pretty mercenary. I like, I got out of college knowing exactly where I was going to go, and that mm -hmm. was to get uh in cast by Second City, right? Because I was like, I wanted to be Bill Murray, like that was that was the trajectory, right? And so, so I'm like, okay, well, what did Bill do? Oh, okay, well, he went through Second City. Then that's what I got to go do. And then right. my buddy Lou Zaccaro, you know right. Lou, he introduced me to Cheryl. Cheryl got me the job so that I could just drink in what you guys were doing every night, every night, every night for 10,000 hours. Right, know? right, right. That yeah. 10,000 hours thing. And to look at everybody, you're watching us to get your 10,000 hours. We're doing our 10,000 hours. And it's this perpetual yep. motion machine yeah. Yeah. where everybody is inspiring everybody else. And I look at the projects that you're on, certainly the comic book that you're doing. Tell us the name of that. Devil Inside. Devil Inside. And the fact that that you were inspired from your childhood to do that sort of thing. Somebody inspired you to do that, and you're doing that, and you're inspiring other people we to do that. stand on each other's shoulders, yeah. I totally agree. And for you to go to Comic-Con and to talk to people yeah. and to connect in that yeah. way is wild. It's crazy. It's crazy. And that, that whole avenue is... That opened up in the last four years. That was a whole new... I never at once, when I was a kid reading comic books, said, hey, I'm going to write one of these. Or I mean, be in it. Or be in it. Well, that's just ego. But, um, like, I'm going to... And, 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 and my collaborator is such a good artist that it, it, he, it looks like me. So I'm like, I'm thrilled. Um, but that was... And that was, you know, again, building a back door. Right. Because I didn't want to be just another script on somebody's table right so we found a way to purpose an idea into an ancillary property that we own the ip of and you know the same drop of water on the same rock over and over and over again is going to build the grand canyon right eventually. and so we just every day for the last three and a half years or every week for the last three and a half years have been putting it out online once a week once a how week, many cells we do one page a week which is about four or five panels uh, -huh. uh panels. And we've been doing it since 2010 we've that gone four comic cons 
No one told you not to do it. Right. No one said you couldn't do it. No. You said, this is what I'm going to do. And then you did it. Yes. And I think there's a lot of people who go, and again, that's me Wait saying. Wait for permission. That for they, me saying, that's somebody, that I can't do that. That's for somebody else yeah. to do. And how, it's, I, wanna, I don't want to say ridiculous. I mean, um, it's not even cowardly because that's not fair either. But it's, it's, it's passive and it's victimy. Well, I can I can say I was also uh, I was also fortified by parents that let me build the Muppet stage in my garage, that let me go do plays, that that said yay and and invited their friends to come watch me. So I was deeply fortified in a belief that what I was doing was consumable. Right. Right. So, so that extended forward. Right. And no you're also passing on passing that that uh, uh, gestalt onto your kids. Yes. And when we do that, because I know that I remember Carell telling me that his parents uh, said, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to be an actor. And they said, how can we make that happen? Yeah. And you go, what, what, what? Yeah. You know, your parents are supposed to be like my parents, where my dad said, don't you think you're chasing rainbows? Or my dad trying to get me into the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Union, 134. And I'm yeah, going, I never had that. I think what it, for, for my folks, it was, it was a way that they could connect deeper to me right. and understand more about the kid they had. Right. Because my dad was on the football team and he fixed cars and he built sheds and he grew up in the farms of Ohio. Uh-huh. And and so so to have like comic book Star Wars actor boy <laughs> when I started doing like comedy and stuff and plays, he was like Oh, I know what that is because we go to we go to Drury Lane, Oak Brook, and right. we see plays, and right. and I watch uh, Evening at Caroline's, and I've seen stuff. I know, I understand my son now, and I think that was a it was a yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. And it, and and the, and the great thing about that is it's it's somebody saying I understand my son as opposed to somebody saying I want my son to understand me. Because if I say I need to understand my son, it's my son is this awesome human being that I have a little bit to do with, a lot to do with at the <laughs> beginning. But later on, yeah. I've got to go. This is a this is a distinct yeah. human being. Yeah, and then and then even more so, like when I started doing television work, it was like, well, we know what that is, right? And so I was fortified on on, on my foundation was rock solid as far as me being able to believe in myself and stand on that. <laughs> any direction. And I certainly met with my share of wind in my face right. when, when I got out of college well, or I think even I'm, in college. But I also feel that a lot of people are going to look at, look at you and go, that's one cocky motherfucker. <laughs> you know what I mean? And go, but, but I, 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 I know you because I've known you since you were in high school. Mm. Did I? No, just, you met me when I was 22. I met you when I was 22. Just after college. Just after college. Yeah. Okay. So I remember going, this is one confident cocksucker <laughs> and this is the kind of guy that can do whatever he wants to do and and i'm going who is this kid <laughs> who is this kid and who does he you know i'm going wow 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 and and I, I never doubted that you were going to get in i never doubted that you were going to be at second city i never doubted that and, was, and it was and thank you it was a bumpy road i mean i had a very bumpy because time. people look at that and go and and I, I believe that people look at that and go wait a minute you're not playing by the rules yeah. you're supposed to be humble or you're supposed to back off yeah i don't know i mean i, I I guess I, I've just I've never been apologetic about what I want to do. Right. 
Now, I always try to act out of kindness, and I would say... I don't think anybody said you were an asshole. No. No. Um, but I would, I would say that I think in my early 20s, it was hard. Like, I, I had, like that, that's, that hill got steeper, and, and I think the, the grist of, uh, of Second City helped me with L.A. Like, right. Because it wasn't easy, and it was so Darwinian that it was sink or swim, you know, make it or not. And it, there, was, there's, there is a club mentality there, and, and to have to try and hang on to your own. It's so interesting. I never felt that. I don't know why. I never, for me, I never felt like I had a fight or was political or any well, of I that didn't have stuff. To, I didn't find it political. I felt like I had to keep explaining what I did. Right. To who? The, the bigger now. Because the bigger... I, I was, I was a, I was a theater kid. I was doing John Patrick Shanley plays in the basement of Voltaire, and, uh-huh. and I was like writing esoteric things. And so I, I, I had come at Second City from a, from a very like experimental performance theater place, right. which right. is evidence in the work that I do now with right. Double Guests and Mayfly. It's much. It's just different than the kind of the improv club that was Chicago, right. which which had a beer in one hand and a smoke in the other, and you just went out and you just did it. And I'm like, but don't we warm up for an hour? <laughs> me, my, moo, me, my, moo. You right. know what I mean? And so I think I had that, like, that theater thing. I had that theater thing, too. And and when you talk about Catboy Voltaire, I know exactly what you're talking about mm-hmm. because it was this environment mm-hmm. where you're trying to get something across and you hear the the, the juicer machine yeah. upstairs. Yeah, which or, is amazing for self-promotion because I had to build the poster and I had to do that. And right, had, yeah. and all of that stuff. And I remember us doing the same things at, uh, You know, when we're, the annoyance first started. Right. Metroform, right. like get on, and I've talked about this before, get on the L platform mm-hmm. and then pass out flyers for people. Yeah. But do it in the streets. Yeah. But you've got to have the confidence within yourself to say, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to come to this show and you're going to have a good time. Right. Well, and I, I, I also also felt the strong need to put out the thing that I wanted to see. That you wanted to see. If you were going to go to a show, what would you want to see? What would I want to see? Right. What would I want the poster to like? What would draw me in? And that that really... And then people just showed up. Right. (laughs) Luckily enough, they they showed up. Right. That that helps. I love Cafe Volterra. I really loved it. I did a bunch of shows down there. And it was essentially... To say it, it was a basement. A basement. It was. A, it had this. My wall. dad helped build the props. Yeah. I, right. And I remember I was in a show with Kate McClanahan, and we had to every day schlep out a train seat from downstairs to upstairs out the back door, and that's what you did. Yeah. I mean, I remember. Are people still doing that? I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna say yes. They're still doing. They do it in LA. I mean, when I think about my day. My day, I would wake up, I would go to the Hamburger Hamlet, and I would work. Then in I would, L.A.? I would, in, in Chicago. In Chicago. I would work at the Hamlet. Then I would go and sleep in the booth at the last act, because I would have to start, I would get off at four, and I would go take a nap in the booth, in a booth, they would let me sleep in the bar, because then I would have a six o'clock shift at Second City, then I would work until one o'clock in the morning, then schlep all the way back to Rogers Park, if I didn't have a class or a show. Right. And I would do that... Seven days a week. Right. And so, and then we would, or go into production for a play at Voltaire, building the sets, rehearsing the play. Who's our, we? Who's we? Myself, Oliver Ortel, uh-huh. Shauna Kofed, uh-huh. uh, 
Pat uh, Carton, uh, just a bunch of Megan Schumacher uh-huh. uh, was part of our theater company. She's my manager now. Um, you stick with the people that work with you well. You right. know what I mean? Right. And, right. And 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 I th- and what was weird was that stuff was a bit of an oasis to Second City to me. Mm-hmm. Because Second City, I was like, well, I knew I wanted to do Second City artistically and career wise. Right. But then. Like my hobo's soul needed to crawl into Voltaire and do Shanley plays. I love it. Yeah. For me to have a theater background changed my life. I think it makes it makes people like you and I very different. But any time that you get into a resident company at Second City, you're bringing your voice to it. And I think that so many people, because when you said you want to be Bill Murray, there was a point early on when you jettisoned that idea and you realized, wait, I don't have to be Bill Murray. I could be me. And I was watching, and you know, and I was lucky to be taking notes from you guys, watching mm-hmm. you and Carell and, and Robano and all those guys, and like just stealing everything. And then when it came time to pull scenes, I had seen your guys' scenes so much, and I pulled all those scenes right. to tour, so I got to live in somebody else's skin. It's like in an art class when they go to redo this Picasso painting, right? And you get into the skin of somebody else, and then you make it your own, and, and just that that process of trying on hats in your 20s. It's such a great way to become an artist. And I think that people, I feel blessed. I feel fucking blessed that I was able to go there and the teachers that I had there and the people that I worked with over there, it changed my life. Marty and Mick and Norm and you. Right. Donnie DiPolo. And we're also, and you, are you still teaching? I teach occasionally uh, out of uh, Leslie Kahn's studio, uh-huh. and I used to have a uh, improv school in the valley. Right, the hot, uh, the hot house. I love that place, that man. Place. It was a great place. Yeah, there was there was some halcyon days. Right. I mean, I've had all these amazing chapters because then I had the five years in New York with Burn Manhattan and Shira and Tease and Shira, Kevin Shira Scott, Piven Shira and Piven. John Tease. Yeah. Right. Matt Matt Higgins and Jay Roderick, Kate Walsh. And we did that show for four years in in New York and, and schlepped to the Lower East Side of Manhattan at midnight shows. I mean, it's and and yet and also you to be in that community there, which which fed into the Conan community yes, right there. Yes, and, which was where I got my teeth cut on TV. Right. Well, and to be able to do the show sketch show. that you you the sketch that you worked on at Second City, and to be able to play those characters and to understand how to. Like just in, embody those things. That's a touring company trait. It is, it is. And and here the lines changed before you go on. Here go. Oh, where, my favorite moment was standing in line for one of the uh, for one of the the uh, staring contests that Conan used to do. And I saw a writer pick up a phone and goes, "I need a baseball hat for the vampire," <laughs> with no irony. Like you're standing next to a guy dressed like an ant and a guy dressed like an Amish and then Hitler. And and it was like it was like backlot. It was fantastic. Right. Yeah. And that and and the people that I talked to on that show, Brian Stack and yeah. uh, Brian McCann, who worked on that show, and how that shit changed, and how like those writers there. I think we're at. I know I've said this so I've said this so many times. We right now comedy is such an awesome place to be because there's 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 accessibility, but there's also the idea of. Um, what's happening politically in the world and what's happening culturally in the world, in our world, in our culture. I'm, I'm so moved by that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. And, and the, the ability to take it and like second city to take it, take that morning's events and channel it 
emotionally, intellectually into, and that's what Colbert is still doing, and 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 those guys are carrying on that tradition of being able to metastasize the day's events and make you laugh at it. You you you've worked with some pretty fucking great people. Too. I've been blessed, yeah. Like Eddie Izzard. Yes. And to be in what's what's that like to be in the orbit of that? You know, I I've told this story before, but like you know, he looms large in in your legend because he's he he's not he you know he's, he's covered in bees. He's Eddie, and so in my head <clears throat> was this larger than life rock star who wears boas and and talks about the Crimean War right. and cake, and uh, and the first day that I was going to set, uh, this actor walks towards me with you know red hair and a goatee. Hello, I'm Eddie. Like, thank God that he didn't show up with the nails and the and the boa. It's like, oh, you're you're an actor. Right. You've been in line longer than me. Right, right, right. That's all. Right. And then he's a coworker. That's it. But it's he's also like, an... and then he's got stories about when he worked with Michael Palin and Cleese and all those guys that loomed large right. in his comedy legend. And now he's like, he was telling me a story about they were doing a radio show, and he's like, and I. And I had to change a joke of Palin's or somebody, and he goes, and I was right. <laughs> and right. They, they, they were like, no, you're right. Right. And then you're like, oh, human, human being. Right. And so with Eddie, it's like he's, you know, he'd switched out of comedy mode and was like, I'm serious actor now. Mm-hmm. And as he called it, boy mode. Um, <clears throat> and so working with him was fantastic. And he always, he always referred to me as like, he would always recognize my sense of humor by calling it, uh, well, Todd and I went to comedy school. Like nice. We, we went to comedy school. Oh. You understand. So I remember bringing up Scotland to him. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, have you been to Edinburgh? And he goes, 12 years in a row. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so then yes. Right. And so, so there was a definite mutual respect. He, d- he acknowledged my Second City heritage mm-hmm. and my comedy background. And I remember once he was telling me, he's like, after doing Burn Manhattan, we don't take suggestions. We had a live band, and, and we have projections and stuff. And he, and he would come up to me, and he goes, so we do this improv show where we just get one word. Like, really? Really? <laughs> and then I, I always imagined it like that scene in Poltergeist where, like, and we move the pencil across the table over a period of 24 hours. And he goes, really? And opens the door, and the room is spinning with all this stuff because of the kind of stuff that we were doing with Shira was just so kaleidoscopic already that... It would be like me walking up and going, so, Eddie, I go on stage and I tell jokes for 20 minutes. <laughs> and he'd be like, great, that's fantastic. fantastic. Right. So, so we both had, a, a, dare I say, expertise in different aspects of comedy, even though he played Wembley and I have not. Right. There, was, there is a, a mutual respect for comedy chops. You were such a douchebag in that character. <laughs> God, was that fun to do? You know, it's all. Somebody. You were I, such I, a heavy. I, I love watching of, you. I get a lot that. of crap for not crap, but there's like I just made a joke on Facebook the other day because no matter what picture I post of myself, somebody goes, "Ooh, you look evil." <laughs> like I could put, I could be sniffing a daisy, like evil daisy sniffer. <laughs> I'm like I can't. Like now I'm sort of painted into a corner. But somebody said, "Do you ever get tired of playing bad guys?" And I said, "We get the best costumes and the best lines." Right. We always wind up with a bullet in our head, but. We have to get the job the next week. Did you feel uh, so? That series ended. It ended in the middle. It did. Yeah. It didn't end. Yeah, we died an early death. Right. What was that like? 
to to not sad. I would imagine it'd be sad. Tremendously sad. And then I'm not talking about monetarily. No, sad. Like sad. Like you like anything. Like touring. Like you spend a lot of time doing a very intimate thing with a, a very small group of people. Right. Um and you fall in love with the writing and the writers right. and, and, and the and the characters and the actors and you're like I'm blessed beyond belief to have this opportunity. It spoiled me. Right. I'm blessed beyond belief to have this opportunity. And then they just go, yep, it's done. And you go, oh, but my roller skates are still on. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was sad. I mean, and, but there's loose ends that aren't tied up. Yeah, I know. I remember when they didn't uh, pick up Rome. Yeah. Did you watch Rome? Not yet. Did you watch Deadwood? Most of it. When they didn't pick up Deadwood, I'm like, really? Now what? Yeah. Now what am I supposed to fucking do? <laughs> well, if there was only other good TV out there. What are you watching? Right now, uh, I'm diving back into House of Cards, Breaking Bad, Doctor Who, um, Supernatural. I'm a big fan. Uh-huh. Um, I like all the geek shows. Right. And... Uh, and so that's well tangentially. I'm fortunate that the the, the comic I write and the Comic Con world, also going back to saying I want to write the things that I see because I, I don't write comedy. Right. Funny stuff happens in my in the things that I write, but I write the stuff that I want to see, and so I consume a lot of. I I I love the idea of I write the stuff that I want to see. Right. Because I think that so many people write the stuff that has already been written or write the stuff that's already on. Well, I have to, you know, you have to have something that throws coal in the furnace. Right. No, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not shrewd. I'm not saying I'm not looking at the landscape and going, okay, how does this fit into their box? Right. But I got to write it. I got to write something I would watch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or read. Well, but there's also the idea of how do you write something if you don't have your heart in it? That's exactly what I'm saying. You have to have coal in the furnace, and, and there's no way. I, like, I don't think I could be a staff writer and write on someone else's show. Right. I think, and, and I'm fortunate that my bread and butter is as an actor. So the writing has been a new avenue and, and, and one that, and look, we were writing at Second City. We've right. been, I've been writing for 20 years, mm -hmm. but in terms of repurposing it into television show or series or whatnot, um, I lost my train of thought. Um, it's a different ball game. You're saying write for what you know, keep the coal yes. in the head. Yes, that's, yes, that's, yes, yes. And, 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 and I could not get on someone else's show and write it. And I've, I've been fortunate that the things that I have written thus far have generated interest from from studios and whatnot, and uh, put together interesting teams of people to help me continue and fan the flames of the things that I like writing. Right. Yeah. It's that perpetual motion machine where you go, I love what it is that I'm doing, and I keep doing what yeah. it is that I'm doing, and sooner or later somebody's going to get it, or I'm going to learn something else along the path, but if you fucking don't do it, you're not right. going to get it. Right. Exactly. And and here's another thing. If you're not ready to do it, you're not ready to do it. No. And you can't feel guilty but also, for not doing it. But also do it, you know, build, if you can't build a mansion, build a birdhouse out of popsicle sticks mm -hmm. so that you're building. Right. You go, okay, what do I have? I got popsicle sticks, glue, and glitter. Oh, well, then I will make something awesome out of that. Right. Because Devil Inside is a great example. Dennis Calero, my collaborator, he knows how to create a comic book. 
Mm-hmm. I know how to write stories with characters and funny and scary. Right. Oh, okay, great. And I can do that once a week, and he can do that once a week, and he's also a very talented writer as well, and is my collaborator on the sci-fi pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we're, we're not trying to take it to DC and publish a graphic novel. We're like, oh, we can put it on the web. Right. So I'll do what I can with what I can. Voltaire. Right. Uh, I, I, I'm not playing, you know, I'm not the Schubert. Uh, I'll do it in a basement, and I'll have my dad help build the fridge, but I'll get to do the play that I want to do. And, and, and another thing is, like, I know that we all want to monetize this stuff, but I, I, I also believe that, that if you go, I've got to make a million dollars, you're not dealing with the product. You're not dealing with the, I'm sorry, you're dealing with the product. You're not dealing with the process. Right. And the process will lead you to the product. Yeah. Are you in any way, and I'm not asking you for numbers, is this being monetized at all? The way, what, the comic? Yeah. Well, we, Devil we, inside. We, have, we have taken the web comic and printed it and published collections of the first two years of story and have sold those. Right. But, but it was, we, we knew that, which is why we did it in the way that we did it, because it was, it was cost effective. Uh-huh. It was something he could do in his spare time, I could do, and put it out for free. Right. Because I think what it reaps is down the road. Got it. So your your whole idea is this is where we are right now. And, and and whatever again, whatever the hell it's gonna be, it's gonna be. And I like what it is. That's the most important thing. Yes. And it's it goes back to the idea, and I've said it a million times here, it's replacing ambition with gratefulness. Mm-hmm. The idea that I love what it is that I have and wherever it is that I'm going has nothing to do with it. You know, one eye on the mountain, one eye on the path. Again, I'm, I'm, I, I have an ego. I have ambition. There's nothing wrong with having I an have ego. I have aspiration. No, right. As I say, ego is the stage mom that wakes you up and says, make sure your hair's washed and your teeth are brushed and know your lines. Period. Then they leave. Right. If you want they them to leave, because to the very audition. often people keep holding on to it and saying, well, how am I doing, ego? How am I doing, mom? No, 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 no. I know you don't. No. Do. Well, yeah. right. I don't. Right. Um, um, I leave it for other people to tell me if it's working or not. And those are the, also the people that you have a choice of going, I'm going to listen to this, yeah. but I don't have to listen to everything that you're saying. Mm-hmm. Because what? Because I, I will go, yeah, they're right. Well, I, well, with film especially, and TV, it's like, I don't know what cut they're going to use. I don't know what take they're going to use. I'll right. try it any way you ask me to. Right. You hired me because of what I bring with me in my suitcase. Right. Now, if you want me to pull out something I haven't pulled out yet, great. But you're not going to get anything that's not me. So you'll just get this version of it or that version of that version. And then ultimately, it's the editor and you that's going to figure out how to tell the story. So I'll give you a 10 different versions. I don't care. There's something awesome about Somebody saying, try it this way. Now try it I this love way. It. And now try it this Surprise way. Surprise me. I'm an improviser. Exactly. Yeah. And even the scripted material is improvisation. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, what are you going to do with these lines that have been written? Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know in this take. I don't know in the next take. There are some takes I walk away from and go, yeah, that worked. And then they may not use that one, but I got to experience it. Right. So great. And for me, I think that that's the great thing about working on film is you go, it's there. I can't change it now. It is what I did. But that's true of everything, including improv, especially improvisation, yeah. where there's nothing that I can do. There's no right. way I can look at it. And what's going to be interesting is what I have in my head of what is on the film is not going to look like that no. at all. No. 
And, and it's that's not up to me. What's that? I mean, stage is up to you. In what stage way? Stage is up to you. You are controlling what the audience is going to see. Okay. Film, you don't know the order. You don't know the performance that you gave. You don't know the angle. The, uh, the you angle. don't know the way the no camera control. looks. It's so collaborative. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think, I mean, there's, there's certain, I mean, look, there's really talented guys out there and girls out there that can control the edit and their performance. I don't have that skill. I think that Meryl Streep is known to do that, where she will say, oh, this is what Meryl Streep and I heard that um, uh, Robert De Niro do. They will look at a script and know exactly where the camera's going to cut in the middle of a line. And they will read that line until that cut. And it's not necessarily at the end of the, the paragraph. Okay. They will say, da 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 knowing that they're going to cut there. Gotcha. It's crazy and um, awesome. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't have that skill. No. No. How much, how often, how many, uh, how many shows have you done? I'm a TV. Too? I have a little bit, but, you know, I don't count I, it. And I, I when think I I've done about a hundred projects on television. That's awesome. Yeah. I met a guy yesterday named Alan Rich. Uh -huh. And if you saw a picture of him, you'd know exactly who I'm talking about. He's 85 years old. He's done 47 movies. And he's done over 250 television shows. Uh. And, and he's, a, he's a son of uh, Marion Rich, who's a teacher in New York. Uh -huh. Maybe you know her. I don't know. Um, and I met, he came to my show at IO last night and I looked at him going, I know exactly who that man yeah. is. And to look at the guy and he's in his eighties and that fucker's still working. Yep. Yep. Marathon runner. Right. Yep. It's right. True. Yeah. That's what we are. That's what we are. How do people retire, Todd? Why would you want to? Cause you have a job that. And then what happens? You retire and you go, I am now just waiting to die. Am, am I being... I'm, well, I, no, I, here's, I, here's what it is. A, people, a lot of people that retire may have enjoyed their job, but, but they worked for the weekend. Right. And now they, get, they, get, they saved up money and the rest of their life's the weekend. Oh, my God. I remember moving to L.A. and I remember thinking, Saturdays and Sundays are awful times because I can't work. I'm not going to get work on Saturdays and Sundays. Mm -hmm. And all that I want to do is keep it being Well, in that's the thing, is we're also, you know, the treadmill that we're on. We, 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 we hustle for three weeks so that we can work for a week and a half, and then hustle for three weeks. So the minute you take the needle off that record, you go, you're backing up my, my, my time frame here. <laughs> right. Because now, now it's going to be another three weeks. Right. Now, in those time periods, in between working, are you going, I will never work again? Or no. are you going, no, because I don't do that either. No. No, I get antsy, which is why I get to do improv shows or write a comic or write a pilot or fill in that creative space. But I also have two children right. that fill in that creative space. Right, we come yeah. back to that. Yeah. Right, right. Life's a herald, babe. It really is. Uh, it's not time to end yet, but that would be a good place to end. Um, I, I think... For me, that there are so many actors that go, oh my God, I'm not working, I'm not working, I'm not working, and now I'm working. Well, <laughs> well monetarily... I will go, Daddy needs job. Right. But I never feel like I'm never going to work again. Right. Because I truly believe you do more of what you're already doing. I truly believe that you do more of what you're already doing. So if I sit around, if I sit around whining about why I don't have a career, I won't have one. Right. Um, if, I, if I'm writing or if I'm 
acting in an improv show in the downtime, I will do more of that. Right. Or if I have acted on a television show, I probably will in the future. Right. Right. The idea of never working again doesn't ever come into my head. Never comes into my head. Somebody once said this, and I mentioned it in a podcast once again, uh, once before. Um, whatever it is that's keeping you from what it is that you're doing is what you're doing. Yep. Yep. And that was such an, a profound, shock to me. It? It's yeah. really profound because it makes you go, oh, yeah, right, right. And I also believe that if you think, if it, when I'm not working, I'm still working, but I'm not working in the way that I am working. Well, there's, and we also have lofty goals. Like, there's, I think, my friend Alicia said, and she was quoting somebody else, that that, that other great phrase, which is, uh, if you want something you never had, you have to do something you've never done. Uh-huh. And so, <laughs> so, so that means... You, I, I, yeah, I mean, I have to keep my hands busy, and I have to keep building stuff, and keep. And I would say, in the last three years, I've I've put myself in places that I have been uncomfortable in, that are new, and, right? And in rooms that I haven't been in before. And I've been in LA going on fourteen years, so it's like I pretty much get how to act on TV, right? I've got that down, right? But I've never, you know, been the creative of a pilot before, or written a comic book, or had to sell that. Like when I go to Comic Con, it's it's as a writer. Not as an actor, right? And so that I get to be standing among guys that I grew up with, and and and, and like meeting Bill Sikevich, and 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 I was at a party that Frank Miller and Sergio Argonaz was at, <laughs> and, and uh, Dave Gibbons who drew Watchmen, like these guys that I grew up with. That I'm like, never in my wildest would I be meeting these guys. But it's also interesting to do that because you look at those people and you go, they're people who've been in line longer than me. Right. And they're just fucking people. people. And were you, you were at Second City's 50th, right? No. You weren't there. I was working. You were working. Yeah. The thing about being at Second City's 50th is to watch these people in repose, backstage, in line, waiting to go on. There's George Wendt and there's, uh, there's Kazarinsky and there's Martin Short and they're just sitting there and you're going, oh, right. You're a person. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and that's, you know, and I, for the most part, there's been actors that I've been like really excited to meet and, and, and had a great time. Some, some I couldn't even introduce myself to. Uh-huh. And some that I've worked with that I'm like, oh, right. You're, you're Michael Douglas. Right. And to be able to go, you know, dude, you were so good in Wonder Boys. Uh-huh. And him being tickled that that's the one out of his career that I pulled out. Right. You know, and, and, and sitting down with Dick Van Dyke and going, I watched the comic. <laughs> and then him telling, Oh my God, the comic. Uh, the comic blew me away. Right. And I don't think that people even know what the comic yeah, is. It was so Stan sad. Laurel, yeah. He gave the eulogy at Stan Laurel's funeral. He has his bow tie. Oh my God. And so, like, but, but, but to, because I'm a fan. Right. Like, I'm a fan, but I'm also, like, it's harder for me to meet musicians. Like, they do something I don't. Right. But actors, you've just been doing it longer, and you're really good at it. Right. You know? And you feel that there's a connection there, because I can connect to a musician, but it's going to take a little more time before we're able to put those two circles right. together right. for the Venn diagram. Right. And to look at it in that way. Yeah. And what's also awesome about what you and our history is, the history of Second City to be able to go, I was at Second City and they go, oh, wait a minute. Then do you know? Yeah. I know. You get it then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We, there's, it's, it's, like, it's like Mason's. It, right. Exactly. We know the secret handshake. Right. Uh-huh. Right. And I try to bring that up not for any other reason than for, for the specific reason of saying, 
it's also it's it's provenance, but it's also um, I, I'm I'm in this with you. We're in this together. And you always, no matter how dark it's going to get, there's always a couch for you to crash on. Right, right. No, there's many doors where we go, where you where you do the secret handshake, and they go, "Come in from the rain, brother." Right, yeah. right, right. I love I love having conversations with people in regards to their inspiration and their humanity, the humanity of it all. But also to see somebody going, "Oh my God, I was just no good in that." You like Wonder Boys, really? Of all the movies, really, really. I read the book. I didn't see the movie. Did you read the book? I did not read the book. Michael Chabon. Yeah. Really great writer. Yeah. He uses very big words. Big big word writer. Big word writer. Yeah. Like sacrosanct. Good word. It is a good word. I love that word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Use it more. Um, when you're writing your, your panels for uh uh for your strip, how much time does it take you to, to put those things together? Well, I would say I spend and Dennis and I spend the first month. Of, we spent about a month breaking the story for the year. Wow. And then we decide what is going to happen and how it's going to end mm -hmm. so that I know how to steer that ship. Uh -huh. And then basically I spend once a week writing a blackout. Oh, how fun. That's what I do. Because the, tr the, 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 the plate that I have to spin with that is I have to bring you from last week's, so give you last week's information, give you new information, then give you a blackout. Give you a clip. <laughs> right. Every right. week. In four panels. Four or five panels. Right. Four or five panels. Sometimes one. I'm going to, this whole thing, the idea that this is what you're doing and you never thought you were going to ever yeah. do this. Yeah. It came up and, and I got to thank, uh, I got to thank my partner in crime, Dennis Calero, who, when we sat down for coffee, uh, had just met each other that day, mm -hmm. and he said, uh, and we were just talking shop and talking about the Shield and Breaking Bad and Dexter and antiheroes and right. all the things that we love. and And he goes, "Do you write?" and uh, and I said, "Yeah." And I had this idea about the devil having a crisis of conscience, and I didn't know if it was a script or if I didn't know if it was a movie. Or, right. And he goes, "Let's do it as a web comic." Ah. Uh. And then I went, "Yes, and." Like absolutely, I'd, I'd already seen the fruit of his labor as an artist, right? And I, you know, talking to the guy, he got what I do, and right. I got what he does, right? And, and this was something that we were both kind of in the same place. Like he needed a, a new door opening this way, and I needed a new door opening that way, and we unlocked doors for each other. And if you want to do something different, you have to do something you've never done. If you want something you've never had, you got to do something you've never done, right? Yeah. Both of you did that yes. simultaneously. You mm -hmm. both found something. A little alchemy, yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing that happened when your wife was telling you as you were lacing up yep. your... We're making a baby. Right. Yes, we are. Good. Yeah. Let's end there. Great. <laughs> Today's episode was sponsored by GoDaddy. Thinking about starting a new website? GoDaddy is offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. Go to GoDaddy.com and enter the code ADDcomedy at checkout or click on the GoDaddy banner on our website, ADDcomedy.com. Hello, ADD Comedy Podcast listeners. Dave Rozowski here. First off, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And second off, if you've ever wanted to take a class with me but thought, gosh, I don't think I'll ever be around where David is, know that you can now take the virtual class at iActing. Just check our website out, and there's a link there. Click on that link, 
and that will set you up. You got to do a little hunting, but I think that it's well worth it. We'll hear you in your ears. Bye. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rozowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on ADD Comedy, you can visit our website at www.theaddcomedytour.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ADD Comedy Pod. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you're interested in taking a class with Dave, you can find that information at his website at www.davidrozowski.com. Sound services for the ADD Comedy Podcast was brought to you by Post Apocalyptic.